today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. just absolutely wore out. But he says, you know what? If you keep serving in my strength, he'll keep increasing the ability to be able to do that. Beloved, we grow weary in this world. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not talking about, hey, needing a nap every once in a while. No, I'm talking about just spiritually weary. And you want to just say, you know, I, I, man, I'm just tired of serving. I want to back down a bit. But you know, it is amazing to me that when we are doing this, again, according to the work and the word and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our life, He can give us the strength. He can give us the energy to keep going. As a believer in Christ, you will no doubt become spiritually weary. When you serve the Lord and deal with the sins of the world, it is easy to want to step back and take a break. In his message today, Pastor David will encourage you to call upon the Lord for His mighty strength when you become tired. He is the creator of all things and has the power to fill you with his supernatural strength. Be encouraged today to continue serving him with his guidance alone. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 2 Kings chapter 1 as he begins his message from empire to exile. Second Kings is where we're at. The book of First and Second Kings, as I shared with you, when we were in First Kings, First and Second Kings actually originally were one book of themselves. When they were written, they were written as one. They were divided primarily just for the ease of the scrolls to be able to write them and carry them in uh, two different scrolls. We see actually the the last three verses of First Kings. So if you're at Second Kings chapter one. Turn back a page or look on the other side. See the last three verses in chapter or in First Kings chapter 22, beginning in verse 51. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of his father and in the way of his mother, remember Jezebel, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. So now we move right into 2 Kings and we find trouble right away. Again, there's not a real smooth break. It's just suddenly it's his life and we see situations going on. Following the death of Ahab, the nation of Moab actually rebelled against Israel. 
Now, Moab had come under the control of Israel in the other earlier days of, of David. It became, in essence, a vessel state. It had stayed, again, under their authority for a while. They, uh, again, fought and gained their uh, independence for a while. Then under Omri, king of the southern kingdom, they, they were brought back under the control of Israel. Their, Omri, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, came back into control. And then with Ahab, when he came to the throne, well, he continued to extract this tribute from Moab. And again, the, the people there, they, they hated Israel, they hated Ahab. And when he died, they figured that was their chance to rebel against his son, Ahaziah. And that's where we're at. It's at this point that we read in verse two there in chapter one about Ahaziah. He falls through this lattice work from the second story. He, he seriously hurts himself. And then rather than call upon the one true God, remember this is the Northern kingdom. They didn't call upon the one true God at all while they were there. He decides he's going to call upon the pagan God, Baalzebub, the God of Ekron, to see if he would recover from his injuries. And then in verses three through eight, it tells us that an angel of the Lord spoke to Elijah the prophet telling him to go over to Ahaziah and prophesy against him. And then we see it in verse six, thus says the Lord, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from this bed to which you've gone, but you shall surely die. Well, this then sets in motion an effort by Ahaziah to capture and to kill the hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist, Elijah the Tishbite. Uh, reminds me a little bit, uh, again, also of our, in our New Testament with the uh, locust breath and the, the hairy vesture. Ahaziah, he sends an army captain and 50 armed men to go and capture Elijah. Well, they find him. He's just kind of chilling out. He's up on a hill there, and they come up to him, and they yell up there, hey, man of God, the king has said, come down. And I love his response. It's pretty bold, verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, if I am a man of God, why don't we just let fire come down from heaven and consume you guys and your 50 men? And then sure enough, fire came down from heaven and consumed the captain and his 50 men. Again, this is the same guy that just a couple of years ago was on top of Mount Carmel, remember, with the 450 prophets of Baal, and again, the fire that came down from heaven consumed the altar and, and everything that was on it. He's pretty good at calling down hellfire, or would that be heaven fire? He's calling it down on these guys, and it destroys them completely. But Ahaziah, he, he must have thought that it was just a simple case of spontaneous combustion with his men because he sends out another captain and another 50 men after him with the same command, the same response, and the same thing happens. Yo, man of God, king says, come down. If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now you would think, okay, this is twice this has happened. Ahaziah would have figured this out, but no. Now he sends the third captain. Can you imagine being the third or the fourth guy in line here? Because you know, this guy is not gonna stop. The third captain though, he's figured it out, even though Ahaziah hasn't. And so in verse 13, we read that the third captain of the 50 went up and he came and he fell on his knees before Elijah. He pleaded with him and said, 
Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s and their 50s. But let my life now be precious in your sight. And thankfully for him, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid. So Elijah arose and went down with him to the king. Well, when Elijah arrived there before King Ahaziah, he pronounced the same word that he had given about his sickness even earlier. Look at verse 16. Elijah declared, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there's no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken, because he had no son, Jehoram, that's another son of uh, Ahab and Jezebel, Jehoram became the king in his place. It's now time for the ministry of Elijah to to transfer to another. Uh, The Lord led him to a young man by the name of Elisha. We don't know how old Elijah was at this time, nor Elisha, but uh, transfer is getting ready to take place. In chapter two of Second Kings, it, it tells us that this transfer of calling, this anointing of the Lord was gonna come upon the life of Elisha. So three different times, Elijah tries to just check the commitment of Elisha. Have you signed up for this whole thing? And so three different times, he kind of tells him, why don't you stay here? I'm going to go over here for a while. But Elisha knew that God's call was on his life. And so he continued to pursue it. And he would not be distracted even when Elijah tells him, no, just stay here for a while. I'll be right back. And he said, no, I'm going to be right with you. I'm going to be right with you. Well, finally, together, they crossed over on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Elijah asked Elisha what he would like from him before he was taken away. And Elisha asked for a double portion of his spirit to be upon him. And so Elijah, down in verse 10, says that you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into the heaven. Now let me stop right there. How did Elijah go up into the heavens? Not on the chariot. I, I, you, you people fall for that. Oh, he went up in the chariot. No, he didn't. He went up in the whirlwind. The chariots came and separated Elijah and Elisha to distract Elisha. But Elisha kept his eyes on Elijah and then literally a whirlwind took him up into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. And so he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. It's at this point that Elisha now becomes the prophet, not of the southern kingdom. No, remember, Elijah was the prophet of the northern kingdom, that pagan kingdom, the ones that had denied God from the very beginning. And now, Elisha, that gets to be your job. What a pleasant thing that had to be. You know, that's kind of like having the job of a Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations, where Jeremiah preaches his entire life without a single convert. 
Now Elisha has that same kind of a job. You're going to be proclaiming the reality and the truth of God before a people who are hard-headed, stiff-necked, and turned completely toward pagan idols, and they want nothing to do with the reality and the truth of the one true God. And so there he is. It's at this point, though, that God also uses him mightily with signs and prophetic words. As a matter of fact, some have said you can go through and count the miracles and the events in Elisha's life that he performed while he was a prophet, and it actually is twice the amount that Elijah did, a double portion of that spirit. Well, shortly after taking the mantle as a prophet of the northern kingdom, Elisha is called upon to assist Jehoram, the new king of Israel. Now, Jehoram's not a good guy. He's not a godly guy. But Jehoram had made this confederacy with Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern kingdom. And they added along with that the king of Edom. And they were all three of them going to go up against Moab. Remember, Moab had stopped paying tribute to the northern kingdom. They rebelled against them. Well, again, Jehoram gathers Jehoshaphat from the south and, and the, uh, the king of Edom from the east, and they're gonna go against Moab. And as they marched, They actually marched out for seven days and they finally got to the point where they had not run into an oasis or anywhere to get water for the men or for the animals. They pretty much figured they were going to die there. And so they called upon Elisha for assistance. In chapter three, beginning in verse 13, the conversation between Elisha and Jehoram, I believe was an absolute classic because Elisha knew the heart of Jehoram. Verse 13, Elisha said to the king of Israel, to Jehoram, he says, what have I to do with you? Why don't you go to the prophets of your father or the prophets of your mother? But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now, it's interesting to me to see that when Jehoram was actually in a really, really tough spot, he actually does call Elijah the one, the prophet of the one true God. And so in verse 14, and Elisha, Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, which was one of the good kings of the southern kingdom, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I wouldn't even look at you nor see you. And then he says, bring on the worship team. He says, bring me a, a musician. And then it happened when the music played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and he says, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. So you guys are at this point, you don't have any water. There's no sign of clouds or rain or anything. What you need to do is go ahead and dig some ditches here in faith. But a secondary blessing came because the next morning after they had dug all these ditches, the next morning, those ditches were filled with water. And so the, the men and their, their, their animals were able to be refreshed by the water. But that secondary blessing was that as the Moabites were coming toward them, they looked across the desert and the reflection of the water in those ditches made the water look red. And they thought that literally these three armies had turned on themselves. And so they 
rushed forward only to find that the armies of Israel, the armies of Judah, and the armies of Eden, they were refreshed, they were ready for battle, and in the midst of that, the Moabites lost. It's interesting when you look at this again, they had to dig these ditches with absolutely no evidence or no proof that there was gonna be any rain. And how many times does the Lord call for you and I to take those steps of faith, to take those beliefs that, Lord, I don't understand how this is gonna work. It makes no sense for me, but I'm gonna trust you that you're gonna fill the ditches. I'm gonna trust you that you're gonna bring about the kind of results that are necessary. And we see this over and over again. When God speaks and we obey, Beloved, that's when we see the fulfillment of these promises. Well, following that event, we find in chapter four a similar miracle that that had been performed uh, for a widow uh, by Elijah in 1 Kings. Well, Elisha now meets with another widow. And here in 2 Kings chapter four, a widow had run out of money and the creditors were coming actually to take her two sons as slaves. The only thing she had in the house was, was one single jar of oil left. And so again, same kind of a concept as the ditches. Elisha tells her, you go to the neighborhood, you borrow every vessel you can borrow. You borrow every pot, pan, jar, anything you can. Get as many as you can, bring them in here. Everything, and he says, do not gather just a few. And so she gathered a bunch of them, brought them into the house. I can imagine that all over the house were were all these pots and pans and, and vessels and bowls. Under the direction of the prophet of God, she then took that one jar of oil that she had and began pouring into each one of those other vessels. And as she poured, that one jar of oil she had never ran out. It continued to pour, continued to pour until she ran out of vessels to fill. I look at that, and the thing the Lord showed me in, in the midst of that is there's times in my life, man, I, I'm, just, I'm just wrung out. I'm at the very end. It's just absolutely wore out. But he says, you know what? If you keep serving in my strength, he'll keep increasing the ability to be able to do that. Beloved, we grow weary in this world. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not talking about, hey, needing a nap every once in a while. No, I'm talking about just spiritually weary. And you want to just say, you know, I, I, man, I'm just tired of serving. I want to back down a bit. But you know, it is amazing to me that when we are doing this, again, according to the work and the word and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our life, he can give us the strength. He can give us the energy to keep going. Well, she filled every jar that she had acquired. And she was then able to sell the oil to make enough money to pay off of her creditors and then even live on beyond that. Then in another instance, still in chapter four, following the kindness of another woman and her husband that provided regular food as he traveled through the area, not only did they feed him, but finally the wife told the husband, hey, you know what? We need to build a little room for this prophet that's coming through. And so they built a little room on their house. And uh, again, as as he came through, uh, he would be able to eat there and, and stay there and rest up. Well, because of their kindness, Elijah prophesied that she would finally have a son. The word tells us that her husband was very old. It doesn't say a whole lot about her, but it says that her husband was very old and they, didn't ha- they had not a son at that point. So then suddenly one day while the boy was out in the field, they had the son, his prophecy came through, 
while the, after the boy had grown up, he was weaned, he was out in the field working with his father. Suddenly he started complaining of a severe headache. They brought him into the house and he died shortly thereafter. And the woman then ran to the prophet for help. Well, as Elisha and the woman hurried back to the boy, he had sent his servant ahead, Gehazi. Remember Gehazi, because we're going to see him a few times as we go through Second Kings here. Gehazi went ahead with the, uh, the, the walking stick or the staff of Elisha, and Elisha had told him to lay it on top of the boy, and we're on our way. So Elisha and the woman, the Shunammite woman, ran there, but Gehazi ran ahead. But as he laid the staff on the young boy's body, nothing happened. But once Elisha arrived at the house, he ran up to the young boy, laid out there, and verse 34 tells us that he laid right on top of the young boy, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned, and he walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched stretched himself out on him, and then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and says, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. And so again, he, he, she picked him up. Gave, the, the boy was back to life. Just again, the miracle of God in the midst of this. We see the Lord continuing to use Elisha in these works of miracles. But again, his primary purpose was to proclaim the truth of God to a rebellious people and their leadership. But God even brings him to, brings to him leaders of other countries because again, God is using him just to demonstrate and declare his truth to the people. There's another man that comes at this point to Elisha in chapter five. We read about the man uh, by the name of Naaman. Naaman was known as a, a noble. He was an honorable man. He was a mighty man of valor. He was the commander of the armies of Syria. The problem was he also had leprosy. Well, fortunately for him, the Syrians in border raids that they did against uh, Israel, they had captured a young girl from Israel during one of these border raids. And Naaman had taken this particular young girl as a servant for his wife. Well, this young girl, she finally speaks up and she tells her mistress that if Naaman would go to Israel, call upon Elisha, he'd be healed of his leprosy. And definitely this young girl, a girl of great faith, particularly you consider the the situation that she finds herself in. Well, Naaman goes down to Elisha. And again, as he comes in, he actually brings a letter to the king of Israel. And it freaks the king of Israel out. He starts tearing his clothes. He says, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? He figured it was a trick that Syria was doing, again, to be able to attack Israel. Well, they finally get him down to Elisha. And as he goes to Elisha, uh, Naaman is actually going with this expectation that Elisha would come out uh, 
I don't know, touch him, uh, maybe wave his jacket in the air in front of him, maybe you know, slam him on the forehead, whatever it might take. He, he figured he was gonna do something big and powerful, say something that sounded really spiritual and really powerful. Well, instead, Elisha doesn't even go out to meet the guy. As a matter of fact, he, he sends his servant, Gehazi, out. He says, uh, you go out and tell that guy. Go out and tell Naaman. He needs to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. Well, for Naaman, that was a huge insult. Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray, too, for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.